Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. You've heard that greeting before. I tend to start episodes like this. Well, as I planned the intro for this episode, it caused me to pause, because as you'll hear when I greet my guests for this episode, I realized that in my own mind, I tend to think of birders from a far too narrow perspective. The term birder means different things to different people. It can be worn as a badge of membership for some of us. To consider yourself a birder might mean that you're a serious student of all things about birds, their identification, but also their behavior, distribution, migration patterns, vocalizations, and lots more. Alternatively, it might mean that you just frequently look for and at birds and are reasonably competent at their identification. Does a birder need to be interested in birds worldwide, nationally, regionally, just locally? My feelings about what makes one a birder have evolved over time. I think when I was younger, it was much more important for me to label myself as a birder, somehow, somehow different from a casual bird watcher. It was probably insecurity on my part, uh, and part wanting to be part of the birding community. Unfortunately, it was really part of a birding club, and maybe even worse, that club consisted in large part of people who looked like me. I've really tried to change my attitude about who's a birder. For sure, I'm happy that the birding community is moving towards looking more like the population in general. This is happening partly in spite of the older established birding community, but hopefully more and more with encouragement, support, and invitation. Let me set the stage so this makes sense. Why am I musing about this on this episode? I got an email from someone I didn't know asking if I was interested in talking with the author of a new birding book. The name of the book is Best Little Book of Birds, The Oregon Coast. My initial reaction, in my own mind, was something like, with a title like that, that's not a book for a real birder. Then I slapped myself for arrogance. I replied to the person who sent the email, I'd like to check out the book and see who the author is and make a decision. Keep in mind that I get lots of strange requests to be on the podcast or on the blog. Like this request, they usually come from publicists or just places out of the blue uh, and often have nothing to do with birding. It might be a topic, how to refinance your home with zero down, or 10 best uses of essential oils to reduce wrinkles, or commonly topics more X-rated than those. These are easy to ignore. But my reaction to this book title was partly because I really dislike books with titles like The Best This or For Dummies or things like that. But I think it was in part the arrogant birder in me thinking, this can't be for real birders. I hate it when I think like that. I'm really glad that I got a copy of the book and checked it out. It's a really cool book. It reminds me of a book called Birds of the Puget Sound, Coast to Cascades by several top local birders. This type of book can be a great first bird identification book for someone interested in learning the local birds. Then I looked into the author, Sarah Swanson. It didn't take long to find out that Sarah is a birder by any definition. Again, why do I keep trying to define who's a birder? Anyway, she has a rich background in not just birding and is active in the Portland birding community and seemed like a great choice to have as a guest. So I'm happy that she agreed to be on the show and also happy that it forced me to look at my own issues and thinking about what, what being a birder means and why it even is important to me. After this roundabout introduction, help me welcome Sarah Swanson as my guest on the Bird Banner Podcast episode number 135. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for doing this. 
uh, I heard about your new book because your publicist, I think it's a publicist, sounded like a publicist, got a hold of me. And I said, oh, gosh, this doesn't sound like something birders are going to hear about. Uh, best little book of birds. What's that all about? But I got the copy of the book and I am impressed. It is very cool. Uh, tell me about uh, uh, how this all came about. But first, uh, tell me your story. Tell me your, who you are and your birding story a little bit. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Um, I I do feel like I should say that I did not name the book, though I did write it. And I hope that when people have the book in their hands, it will be clear, you know, what it is and and who it's for. Um, so I started out kind of my birding journey as a kid. Actually, I grew up here in Portland, Oregon, and um, I took an extracurricular class when I was in fourth grade, and I'd always been into animals, but I didn't really know much about birds. And then all of a sudden I got a bird book and I was out with a knowledgeable person, you know, learning about the birds that, that lived near our school. And, um, my field guide just knocked my socks off. It just clicked with something in my brain, that huge diversity of birds and the colors and, the names, and I just loved it. And from then on, I was really into birds. I don't know if I got to be a very good birder as far as ID skills until uh, maybe my my younger adult life in, in college and graduate school. Um, I studied biology at University of Oregon and didn't have a lot of time for birding then. Um, but then in graduate school um, in Oklahoma, I met my husband and he and I were uh, birding buddies from the day we met. And so <laughs> once I had, you know, somebody else who was as into birding as I was to, to share that with, it was really fun to, to explore and, uh, all those Eastern birds while we lived out there. And then after moving back to Oregon, getting even more into birding. Um, so it's, it's been quite a while for me. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, how how much better does it get than to have uh, your partner be your best birding buddy? That's that's pretty cool. I mean, I love it. I I can't imagine it otherwise because it's my favorite leisure activity, and so I don't have to choose between spending time together and enjoying that. Very cool. Yeah, you've got another really good uh, birding couple in the Portland area, uh, Shanine Finnegan and David Irons. Oh, well, they they are on a whole other level. I mean, Dave and Shanine are are wonderful. So yeah, it's it's cool to be part of the Portland birding community and and have so many awesome birders here. Yeah, they've both been guests on the podcast. I met Shanine when I did a uh, five-day pelagic out of San Diego on the searcher. It's this fabulous, if you ever get a chance, oh my goodness, it's just a wonderful experience. But every year on that trip, they they have, they I think they have, you know, three or four regular guides go on that trip every year. Every year they invite like an, an outside person, you know, a guest guide. And Shawnee was a guest guide that year. And I, met, I said, Wow, did I hit the jackpot? She is super nice person and incredible birder and a great backstory. So I uh, just hit the jackpot there. That was really cool. Yeah, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but Shanine actually uh, figures into a story that I have about pelagic birding as well. <laughs> oh, very cool. Yeah. So that's good. Good for you. Yeah. They are, Dave and Shanine are both 
you know, way out of my league as birders, but super nice, gracious people and great. So you're lucky to have them around. They're really, really good. Yeah. Uh, So you wrote a book. Actually, this is not your first book. It's at least your second book. Maybe there are others that I don't even know about. Uh, But what, uh, that's a big task. How did you even, a lot of us thought I could write a book, but don't do it. How did that happen? You've, you've made it happen. Yeah, this is um, my, the Oregon Coast book is my second book. So the first one I co-wrote with my husband and um, that came out in 2013, Must See Birds of the Pacific Northwest. It's recently out of print, but there's a a few copies still floating around. Um, That was just kind of random, happy coincidence. Um, Timber Press was kind of expanding their Northwestern collection of titles and they were looking for someone to write uh, a bird book, not a field guide, but you know something else. They were still kind of figuring out what that would be. And they sent an email to one of um, my coworkers at Portland Audubon, where I had uh, just stopped working like a few months before. And um, they said, you know, we're looking for someone to write this book. And, and she said, oh, that's, that is definitely not me or what I do, but uh, I would recommend these friends of mine, you know, she does environmental education and he's a biologist. And I think that they would be great for this. And so we ended up talking to the folks at Timber and it all worked out. And we had a, a really great editor there that kind of helped us, you know, formulate what that book should be. And I'm, I'm really proud of it and, you know, how many people have enjoyed it. Cool. So how did this come to be? It sounds like this is going to be a series and maybe you're the, uh, since they knew you chose you as the premier, the introductory to the series, what's going on? Yeah, I'd I'd reached out to them about, about writing another book and they told me that they were working on um, this, on starting this series where it would be um, kind of focused on these, these smaller areas and it would be kind of smaller portable um, field guides that would have, you know, a smaller number of species in them. So they'd be easier to use in these particular areas. And so, um, I said, well, that sounds pretty fun. And might I suggest the Oregon coast, um, my favorite, (laughs) my favorite birding area. Um, you can tell by the extremely large beach birds chapter in must see birds that that's one of my favorites. So, um, wrote that one and it, it took a while to kind of figure out, um, the format and, and what exactly should be included and, you know, how, how large it should be and everything. And so, um, I wrote the Oregon coast one. And then last year in the beginning of this year, I also, uh, finished work on one for the Cascades and the Columbia Gorge. So that will be coming out, um, a year from this fall. Okay. Fall 2023. So the Oregon Coast book is this, I went to Amazon to, to look to buy it and it says it's going to come out in October. Yeah. Is that true? So it's not really it, available yet? It's not. I guess you got an so advanced I copy. am. I got an advanced hey, copy. I'm feeling hey, very special. The designer hasn't even seen it. So oh you and me goodness. are the ones with the copies. You know, and, um, and yeah. I, I went through it quickly and I, I read the little bit at the beginning and it mentioned that you know, there are, there are less common species that are mentioned that don't have their full, a full page section. And I'm flipping through the pictures and I get to the green winged field page and I look at the bottom is 
I didn't read it. And I said, oh my gosh, she put a picture of a cinnamon teal in here instead of a green wing teal. And I look, oh, female cinnamon teal, larger with a longer bill, paler face. I go, oh yeah, yeah. I'm not going to get her on that one. <laughs> oh, I hope not. I mean, I did look at this book once or twice before we sent it to print. <laughs> I bet you did. I bet you did. But I, I looked at it, I said, am I wrong? Is that, that's a cinnamon teal. <laughs> yeah. So some of the, the birds in the book are, um, you know, we have kind of the core collection of the more common birds. And then um, along with the pictures of those common birds um, on some of the pages, there's just a picture of a bird that you might confuse it with, or, a you know, kind of rare bird that's related to that, but it's good to kind of have that comparison there on the same page. It's very nicely done. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Bruce Labarra, has uh, he keeps like half a dozen copies, this little red book, Common Birds of the Puget Sound. I don't even know if you can still buy it anymore, but he, it, when somebody's kind of interested in birding, they don't really know, he gives them that book because it's really, it's not dissimilar to this. It's a little smaller yeah. than this, maybe mm -hmm. half as thick. But it's mm -hmm. got, you know, 40 or 50 backyard birds, common birds, and it it really is a good lure. You know, it's got to toss it out there yeah. to people who aren't, you know, super avid birders. And it's usable and easy and small and, and affordable. So it's it's a perfect uh, introductory book or for someone who wants to visit the Oregon coast who might not know all the birds at first glance. You don't have to look through, you know, smew, all these things. You're not going to see. Uh, it, it's, it really fills a niche. So nicely done. Oh, thanks. Yeah, when I was a... A beginning birder, I, you know, would often get sidetracked by just kind of looking for a bird that kind of looked familiar from what I was looking at. And um, I would often fall down a rabbit hole of, you know, birds that were not nearby or, you know, get confused by range maps as a, as a new birder. Um, so I'm hoping that this will, will make things easy to just like these are the cormorants that you could possibly see. And here are some differences between them, that kind of thing. And um, hopefully the, the simplification makes it less overwhelming. Although, you know, goals are always going to be hard. Yeah. <laughs> but other they're, people have written those books to, to figure yeah, those out. For sure. And they're really big and really thick. And you read it five times and you still can't <laughs> identify a gull. So, yeah. Yeah, very cool. Uh, so you have uh, worked for Audubon or with Audubon off and on. What roles have you played at the Portland Audubon? Yeah, so um, back in, from 2006 to 2011, I was um, in the education department. I worked as the camp director and did on-site school programs for kids as well. And um, as a volunteer, I... Um, have since 2019, I have been the Birdathon coordinator. So um, that is uh, a major fundraiser for Portland Audubon that we do every spring that I had led a team for. I've done it about, I think, 15 times, um, led my team, the mer the merrier, um, <laughs> as, as a staff person and a volunteer um, for years and years. And so um, I was able to, to jump in and take over that coordinator role. And I've just really enjoyed working with all of the folks that volunteer to lead teams and the staff people and, and all of our members and, and other community members that are part of the teams. And it's, it's a really fun event. So that's what I've been doing lately. And then this summer, I'm actually up there filling in um, as a, a camp admin for summer camp because they had a, a sudden vacancy and they 
they knew that I'd been in there before. And so they lured me back in. So I'm going back to my summer camp roots um, this summer. You're going to have to take the, just say no, you know, know. Take, out, take up the Nike stands and get a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. You know, we, we had for years, we had Thelma Gilmer, Thelma's passed now, but she did the birdathon for Tahoma Audubon. Oh. And you knew when you got a call from Thelma that she's very nice. She was going to ask you to do something and you didn't dare say no. So it was <laughs> always, she was really good at maybe a couple more decades and people will, uh, quake in fear when I call them. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, you know, you're really good at the Audubon booth at the, at the Puyallup fair. It's, you, you seem to really enjoy that and go like, I dread that. I hate that. I never <laughs> want to do that again. What are you talking about? Thelma? Sure. It was Thursday. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Old memories. Anyway. Uh, so you've done that. You've been involved in the bird counts too, the Christmas bird counts. Yeah, that's just as a volunteer, not not through my work at um, Portland Audubon. There's other folks at Audubon, like Candace Larson, that have taken more of a leadership role in that. But I have enjoyed leading um, sub areas different times, and uh, it's kind of like a birdathon in that you're you know really needing some strategy to to figure out how to uh, get to all the areas that you need to to get to and and find as much of a diversity of, of species as you can, because you want to accurately reflect, you know, what's out there in your little wedge of the circle. And so I've gotten to do some fun ones. One involved um, two different golf courses um, in the Southwest Portland area in Beaverton. And um, I was actually on crutches, but still showed up um, to lead. And so the, the first golf course, I just had to wait in the car while they walked around. But then the second golf course let us all use golf carts for free. And we just got to zoom around uh, the golf course, counting Merlins and, you know, Fox Sparrows and everything. So very cool. That, that was pretty fun. That's a new, I have not heard of anyone. You may be the only person I've ever met who's done a bird, <laughs> uh, done a Christmas bird count by golf cart. Yep. Yeah. Well, there are golf cart communities in the South, uh, yeah, retirement <laughs> communities. Maybe they do them that way. There. Yeah, maybe know. down in Florida. Yeah. My brother lives at the at, in the winter uh, at a place called The Villages, which uh, is uh, uh, a really, really, really big over 55 uh, community. It's like, I want to say 150,000 poems. Oh uh, and it's all golf cart accessible. And I, I visited in the last winter for the first time. And it's, at first thought, it's like, oh, just don't ever let me go to a place like this. Just just shoot me before I go. But then I got there and it's it's kind of fun riding around <laughs> on a golf cart. And every night they have music outdoors. You know, I, I, I had a different perspective. It goes to show how old I'm getting to be, I think. But it was <laughs> it was, you know, I I. I guess I had a little respect for him for choosing that. I don't think I'd choose that, but it, you know, you could see how it could be attractive. Yeah, but better than cars. <laughs> they probably have a golf cart CBC there too. I'd be willing to bet. <laughs> so you've, you've written this book. It's going to come out in October. I've always wondered, what does it take? I mean, maybe doing birding podcasts is what it takes, but what does it take to, uh, you know, promote a book? Uh, what do the publishers ask you to do? What does that all involve? Well, it just, it really depends. And it, you know, probably depends on the, 
how how famous your book is going to be too, you know, how much of a budget you have, but um, we're kind of just getting started for, for this book, but uh, for our last book, we got to go um, on a, a quick little book tour up to um, Seattle Audubon and up to uh, Bellingham to a bookstore there. We got to go out um, on a, a educational boat trip on the snow goose um, out of Bellingham Bay uh, okay. with the North Cascades Environmental Learning Center. So that was a blast. And then we had a big book launch party at uh, Portland Audubon. And then we just ended up doing a lot of like smaller events at libraries. We did um, the Birding and Blues Festival in Pacific City, Oregon. We did the Shorebird Festival um, in Charleston, Oregon. So, um, you know, just getting out there and kind of finding a fun um, topic and structure for a talk that you can go out and, and give people that will kind of get them excited and, and give them a little bit of the flavor of the book to get them you know, to want to buy it. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. But Sounds like podcasts you... exist. So podcasts yeah, well, weren't really a thing <laughs> back when we were you know, publicizing uh, I, this. So I'm excited to get to do some. I'll make sure I put a link to the uh, Amazon site. Uh, do you have a, a site of your own that you sell a book at or anything like that? I don't, but um, I, you know, Amazon's great. I'm glad that, you know, they're selling my book, but I would also recommend um, for folks that like to to buy more locally, um, mm-hmm. indie bound, you can find, you know, local bookstores or order it, um, online through them. And so that's, um, indie bound. And then you can also order it through my hometown, uh, bookstore Powell's books. Um, I, they they have it available for pre-order as well. And, um, Barnes and Noble has it too. So. Very cool. That's a that's a popular train ride from uh, where I live down to down to the bookstore in Portland. Yes. It's, it's hard to find a good bookstore. Although we have King Books here in Tacoma, mm-hmm. I should uh, you know I you should give I see if they'll stock it. It's, you know Washington's close enough; they might be willing to do that. Yeah. Well, if they sell Timber Press books at all, then our our sales folks will be hitting them up. I'm sure it's close enough to the coast. I think. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. So uh, very, uh, very cool with the new book. Uh, what What are some of your favorite birding places around Portland? Where do you get out birding? Well, um, when I'm feeling lazier, I'll go. You know, I have a park right by um, in my neighborhood called Gabriel Park that has some nice kind of forested um, habitat, a little bit of willows and stuff for, for migrant birds. So a walk over there is always nice, especially in the spring. And then um, there's some other wetlands um, on the west side over here toward Beaverton that I like to go to. Coal wetlands is a favorite of mine and a lot of other peoples. I think uh, Dave and Shawnee live really close by, but um, so it is a wetland that is right surrounded on about three sides by an office park. And Mm -hmm. so you're just parking in an office park parking lot. And then there's a black crown night heron, or there's an otter swimming around, or, you know, there's a kingfisher hunting, or there's a bald eagle. (laughs) So um, that's, that's been one of my favorite spots because there's always something going on. um, You know, any time of year, it gets a lot of cool wintering ducks. Um, when the beavers haven't made the water levels too high, we get some migrating shorebirds. And so 
Um, that's, that's one of my favorite spots. I also really like Oaks Bottom, um, wildlife. I believe it's a wildlife refuge, um, the city. And then, um, Mount Tabor is kind of a, a famous, uh, spring migration destination in Portland that I always try to get to at least once in the spring, even though it's kind of across town. I knew Portland was a, a pretty, has a pretty good birding community. I think, uh, yeah. I, I know a handful of Portland birders and Stefan Schlick is, uh, yeah. another really top, uh, Oregon birder. And oh, I think he, I think he, sure. I think he lives in Portland or near Portland at least. Yeah. Maybe just outside Portland. Yeah. yeah. So that's cool. So anyway, uh, I see Stefan every, every winter, uh, a friend of mine and I lead a trip up to the Okanagan in mm. uh, North central Washington. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Stefan is almost always there scouting for a trip that he leads. So he goes up, we usually go on, I think it's MLK weekend. We go on and, uh, almost always meet Stefan and sometimes, uh, uh, Khan, Khan meet Khan mm -hmm. up there too. Uh, and, uh, so it's, it's, you know, fun to catch up at times like that. That's, uh, special. So uh, do you have some uh, really close birding friends besides your husband that you get out with? Yeah. Yeah. And also just about the Portland birding community. Um, oh, yes. We've got some established, really excellent birders. And, uh, you know, a lot of them are really great mentors and stuff. But the thing that I'm really excited about in the Portland birding community is um, the people that are younger than myself that are starting birding clubs, you know, around their own interests or their own kind of communities to make um, places where a, a lot more people will feel welcome in the birding community. Because as many cool birders as there are, uh, somehow a lot of people end up feeling excluded from the birding community. And so we have uh, a chapter of the Feminist Bird Club in Portland that is just great. They're doing all kinds of stuff. And then, um, we've got the Garrow bird club and they're leading their own walks. And so it's just kind of all this grassroots stuff where people are, um, leading bird walks and getting their friends involved. And I, I just love to see that, that growth and, and new people coming in. That is terrific. I have to say that, uh, birding can, can seem and be, I'm sure, exclusive in some regards. Uh, you know, people can, it, it's easy to look down on or just ignore or not even see uh, people who are different than yourself uh, who might be interested. In, and do you have any suggestions for other communities as to how they can encourage, uh, how they can encourage groups like this to uh, evolve? Do, do they, do they just have to kind of be spontaneous? Can they be facilitated? What do you think? Well, I, I think that, you know, communities who haven't historically felt welcome in birding or even individuals don't necessarily need other people to do things for them. They might just need us to kind of get out of the way <laughs> and, and, you know, kind of magnify their voices. So, you know, if the feminist bird clubs doing a walk and I think that's awesome. And, you know, now they're doing great, but maybe they're just starting out. You know, I could share that to people who, who know me in birding because I've been around for longer. So I think maybe just, uh, magnifying the cool work of, of the people that are, are doing it and, and looking around. 
so being encouraging and open and uh, just congratulatory as opposed to uh, maybe ignoring them or yeah. or worse. Yeah. And just trying to, you know, be really open-minded about what a birder looks like and what, what a birder does and what, what birding even is, you know, what, what counts as, as birding or, or being a birder. I see a lot of people kind of pushing the definition of that, you know, a little more broadly. And, and I love that because I think the bigger the community of people that think of themselves as birders, the better. Yeah. So talking about yourself, sir, what things other than birding are, are you uh, passionate about? I, I saw that you like beer. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't know if I want to go on record saying I'm passionate about beer, but it might be true. Um, my husband and I do enjoy um, looking for new breweries while we're um, out doing our, our birding. So we found uh, Bird's View Brewing in the North Cascades on our most recent trip on Highway 20 um, near Concrete, Washington. Um, so that is a, a gorgeous uh, building with, it's like a pole barn that has a brewery in it. And it's very cool. And then you get to sit outside with, you know, the kind of North Cascades all around you. And uh, we also visited a public house in the Metho Valley. That was, um, I guess it's called the Mazama Public House because it's in Mazama. So mm -hmm. um, that's always something that we've enjoyed doing on our our explorations throughout the the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I uh, I took a look at your Instagram page. What's oh, your, okay. I forget what's your Instagram handle? Help me. Sarah loves birds. Okay, Sarah loves birds. At Sarah loves birds. Uh, I took a look, and there were some pictures of these really cool, you know, simple little embroidered maps of uh, Oregon with some numbers on them uh, that I think you mentioned you had given to some friends who'd achieved milestones. Give me the backstory of that. Yeah, well, I I got into some kind of fiber arts stuff. Um, a few years ago, I inherited um, a lot of supplies from uh, my late grandmother and I've just enjoyed kind of putting them to use. And I'm definitely very much an amateur, but um, when one of my friends was doing an Oregon big year, I, a few years back, I, I made one for her. And then when two of my friends did a uh, pretty big Oregon years last year, I, I made each of them one as well. So that was just kind of a fun little present for, for a friend in congratulations of their uh, impressive birding efforts. I'll, I'll put a link to those. People might want to check those sure. out. And I, I, do, I do a blog post associated with each uh, episode. Oh, and, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll put a link to those pictures. They're kind of cool. I mean, you know, it's like, huh, there must be a story behind that. Yep. <laughs> Very cool. Good. Uh, so what do you see going forward, Sarah? What, what's, uh, you know, in terms of birding or in terms of career or whatever else you want to tell us about, what do you see going forward? Well, I mean, I, I just try to be kind of open to what, what comes along as far as opportunities, because uh, pretty much none of the things that I've done that I've enjoyed the most the last you know, several years or, or even going back to my first book have been things that I decided that I was going to do and then went after. They're just kind of opportunities that came up. So I'm just trying to be um, kind of 
open to interesting opportunities, but also find ways to keep working in uh, the realm of birding and, and conservation, um, because those are the things that I'm, I'm most passionate about and I find satisfying. Having an open mind opportunities is rarely a bad idea. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you mentioned that you've done some pelagic birding. Have you been on the Oregon pelagics? Yeah. So um, when we were writing Must See Birds, um, you know, you, you title a book, something like Must See Birds, and you kind of feel like you need to see all those birds. And I had seen all of them except for one. And that one was the black-footed albatross. And it's very, very rare to see one from shore. You could never count on that. And so uh, I decided that I should go on a pelagic trip. And so uh, my husband and I and our friend Jill signed up for one in September of 2013. And um, I am a person who's gotten seasick in the past and, you know, car sick, uh, just and any kind of motion sickness and it's, I get it. And so I got the, the prescription patch mm -hmm. figured I was good to go, put it on ahead of time, you know, did all the things you're supposed to do about not eating greasy food or, you know, drinking the night before and, um, just had my saltines and my, my ginger all ready to go and everything. And we got on the boat and we're, it's a beautiful morning. We're motoring out under the Uquina Bay bridge. And I'm like, this is, this is pretty cool. You know, we're just going to go see some awesome birds. And here I am with, you know, people that I like, and this is great. And we get out there and we just, we get past the jetty and the boat just starts tipping as boats do on the ocean in like on multiple axes. And I, I'm gripping the rail with white knuckles and I realize that I have made a terrible mistake. <laughs> so I, I thought about jumping and trying to swim, but I realized that that was not a good idea and that I did not have enough money to pay off everybody on the boat to uh, turn around and just go back. Um, so I got to be on there for eight more hours. <laughs> so we, we, you know, kept going, uh, the first year looking around for some near shore birds, like marbled murelets. And we saw those, I quickly realized to my disappointment, how hard it is to find birds in binoculars, um, on a moving boat when they're on a moving ocean, um, compared to say on land, um, where at least one of you is holding still. Um, and then, uh, I was just feeling, you know, super gross. And this is where Shawnine comes in. And she came over and asked how I was doing. And I said, well, you know, not great, Shawnine. And she said, do you want some saltines? And I was like, yeah, but I don't want to let go of the railing. And so she went in and found my saltines for me and opened them and handed me some and was, was so kind checking in on me throughout this um, eight hour day out on the boat. And we eventually got out to um, where the albatrosses and uh, shearwaters were. And I, I managed to spot a, a Buller's shearwater um, from uh, the bench where I was <laughs> hanging out. 
because I had kind of a bad reaction to the patch and my legs were really rubbery and I was just kind of a mess. And I couldn't even remember what it was called, even though I'd seen it before. It's like, ah, it's the one with the the thing on the wings and everyone's like, ah, Buller Shearwater, here it comes. And then um, we eventually saw multiple albatrosses um, nice and close to the boat. And so I was able to check that off my, my must-see birds list. And then um, we eventually uh, made it back to land um, despite running into you know, various areas with whales where people wanted to stop and take pictures. And I was like, no, I just want to go back. I don't care about this orca. I just, I just want to go back to land. And so uh, I think it's going to be my last pelagic trip. I have not in the intervening uh, nine years wanted to take another one, but I guess never say never. <laughs> From an experienced uh a birder and a family doctor. I'm a family doctor. Oh, uh, right. There are some things you should know. First of all, motion sickness becomes less severe as you get older. Oh, it, it's oh. common. It's common for people who have uh, a motion sickness as a young adult to no longer have motion sickness as an older adult. I'm a case in point. I have I have been one of those people who went on a plastic trip lying in the aisle uh, mm -hmm. with my head over the side of the boat to leap up and see the good bird and lie back down again. Mm -hmm. This is uh, 35 years ago. And now I go on plastic trips and have no problem at all. Uh, well, so there is, hope, another... there is hope. There is hope. And Maybe the other thing, <laughs> the other thing is avoid the patches. I mean, there are people who do well. But yeah. they make people feel really bizarre and weird and not good. Uh, so I've good. I've got my I've got my routine down. I get a good night's sleep. I take two meclizine before I go to bed. I take two meclizine before I get on the boat. Is I, that bonine or bonine under the okay. new formulation Dramamine? Uh, and I take uh, twenty five milligrams is one. So I take a, a double usual dose. Uh -huh. uh, I uh, I'm a little bit drowsy, but perfectly fine. Uh, I. Uh, have a light breakfast and I don't stop eating the entire trip. I take a, I eat an entire box of ginger snaps on the boat and I have these candies called gingins. You can order them. They're like this hard candy you suck on. And my, my thought is they, they have such a strong taste. You could, wouldn't know if you were sick. Uh, but anyway, I've got my routine down and, and that, and stay outdoors the whole time. Eyes on the horizon. Only use your bins when you want to see a bird, you can see naked eye, you know, and I do just fine. <laughs> I love it. That is, that is some really good advice. I, I was very jealous of, um, my friend Jill, who went with us, who, um, was, as I was just, you know, sitting there in misery, she was eating a ham sandwich as the boat, you know, tipped back and forth and yeah. people tossed chum overboard for the, <laughs> for the birds. So it doesn't hit everybody, but yeah, I, I like your advice. Maybe in another 10 years, I'll, I'll try it out. Give it another shot and maybe go in July. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but my good birding buddy, Ken Brown, he, he always brings a tuna fish sandwich on the boat just to show off. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm vegan, so I avoid the tuna fish. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> we we already mentioned this, but uh, so listeners can find your book uh, on uh, at most local bookstores or on Amazon or I'm sure any other online uh, book source that covers a good variety of books. Uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? If somebody wanted to reach out to Sarah Swanson, uh, how, what would be the best way? 
yeah, when is this going to be released? Soon, probably less than two weeks. Okay. Well, I'm currently working on getting my website sent set up, and that will probably be the best way. And that is sarahlovesbirds.com. S-A-R-A-H. Okay, got that. I will uh, put a link. I will put a link to that in the podcast notes. And if it's, uh, it, uh, I'll make a comment that if it doesn't work now, check it out in a week or two. Yeah. And um, I can also be found on Instagram at Sarah Loves Birds and on Twitter. I'm fairly active uh, at Must See Birds. Okay. So your old book, uh, your new yeah. uh, new uh, <laughs> tag, you're, you've got it covered. You've got yep. it covered, Sarah. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for being a guest today. I really appreciate it. I hope your book does great. Uh, I will make sure I buy an official copy once my uh, pre-copy, you know, and see if there's any difference. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, thanks so much again for being on the the podcast. You have a great day and uh, good birding. Thanks for having me. Well, that wraps up the Bird Bander podcast number 135 with Sarah Swanson. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Sarah as much as I enjoyed talking with her. In the podcast notes and on the birdbander.com blog post associated with the episode, you'll find links to where you can order her book at Powell Books in Portland, but it's also available on Amazon or other online sellers for presale. If you have suggestions for people you'd like to hear from on the show, please reach out to me on the contact page at birdbander.com or however else you want to get a hold of me. So until next time, thanks for listening. Good birding. Good day.